podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Yo, yo. When I spit bars in a rave, I'm gonna go hard like Santana. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Cop and Fracas, powered by Touchline Media Group. I am your host, Chris, and I'm just here today to tell you that this week's episode of Cop and Fracas is proudly sponsored by our partners over at Fanslide. That's right, Fanslide is back and powering your fancy football experience for this summer's Euros. What on earth is Fanslide, you might be asking? Well, for experienced members of the pod, you definitely know what Fanslide is, but for new listeners, we'll let you know. Uh, Fanslide is the world's first live and in-play fancy football game with no long-term commitment playing one-off matches that you'll be watching live anyway, with real-time updates supported by the good people from Otter. Slide plays in and out when you think a strong 50 minutes is on the cards and stack those points. But most importantly, get in, get those players on in the key moments so you can beat your mates and claim the bragging rights in your group chat. Spice up your Euro 2020. It's funny that we're calling it Euro 2020 and not Euro 2021, just for simply for branding purposes. Uh, experience by making those boring games and specifically looking at the Austria and Northern Macedonia game in particular. That's going to be one of the boring games you'll need to spice up. A lot more interesting with prize money on every single game, along with, I can't believe I'm, I'm definitely reading this properly, but a total £10,000 prize part. That's right, that is a £10,000 prize part available. So you're going to want to get the spreadsheets and do all the data research for this one with all that money available. And it's a massive win-win situation for you as well. With FanSlide's extremely generous referral program, if you refer a friend from Win the App, then when they win, FanSlide will give you half, that's right, half of what they win. So there's incentives for everyone involved to refer your friends on the app. So do head over to to the App Store now and download FanSlide today. FanSlide, don't just watch the game, play the game. Now, we've got that out of the way. Let's get stuck into this week's episode. So obviously I am joined by... Our regulars, I've got Ellis and Peter. Gents, how are you doing on this um, humid evening? All is well, sir. I am in my shorts and sandals. feel like I'm in a uh, Lanzarote. Um, <laughs> yeah, one, one can dream. But yeah, I'm all right, man. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very good, like yourself, in my shorts. My slides are on. Preferably, you know, would like to be doing this part in Miami, but... Here we are. Uh, <laughs> we can dream next year. Cop end in Miami. We'll put that one in. The, we'll see if we've got the budget for that. <laughs> Pete, how are you doing? Yeah, all good. Just enjoying this weather and can't wait to get stuck into the football, really. Good stuff. Good stuff. And if you've not seen by now, if you are watching on YouTube, we are joined by the one, the only, the immortal. That's right. The immortal <laughs> Paul Ghost of the Liverpool Echo. Paul, how are you doing this evening? I'm very well. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. All the better for that introduction, to be honest. The immortal Paul Ghost. I think I might start uh, calling himself that around, you know, the uh, around with my mates and stuff. Might even change <laughs> the handle. I've been watching a lot of um, I've been watching a lot of wrestling in lockdown, and when yeah. Hulk Hogan came back, he was calling himself the immortal Hulk Hogan. So I yeah. thought, 
for a special guest such as yourself, I have to give you such a special name. So the immortal Paul yeah. Ghost, it is. Um, I think that's the first time I've been compared to uh, to the Hulkster, so so I'll take that as well. You, you've started well so far. <laughs> well, I mean, we've got, we've, as, as, as ludicrous as it sounds, we've got to sweeten you up to get some information. So you know, we've got to, we've got to do what we've got to do. Yeah. I know the game. <laughs> um, but before we do get into some stuck into some of the stuff. Um, as per usual, uh, if you are watching us on YouTube, please do hit subscribe and also hit the little bell to be alerted whenever new content goes live on the Touchline Fracas YouTube channel. And if you love what you hear from us at Copper and Fracas, we do have our Copper and Fracas Patreon page. So that is www.patreon.com forward slash Copper and Fracas. And from as little as £3 a month, you will get access to a wealth. And by I definitely mean a wealth. We've got around about 100 100 episodes on there uh, both in terms of video written and audio content so there's a lot of great stuff on there as well and a lot more stuff to come we'll have a um, world famous transfer game up in the next couple of weeks uh, end of season reviews scouting reports and everything else in between uh, so that is www.patreon.com forward slash copy and fracas and sign up today Let's get stuck into the um, let's get stuck into the the pod, uh, gentlemen. And Paul, I'm going to start off with you. Um, been a bit of a weird year to cover football, uh, I can assume. Um, Want to know from obviously from from your perspective, how do they feel kind of covering Liverpool games in what I've kind of referred to as pretty much soul soulless and empty stadiums? You know, without the roar of the crowd, kind of belling people on. And how nice was it to kind of get that let off? In the Crystal Palace game, with with ten thousand Reds back in the stadium. Yeah, well, you, you did the nail on the head there. It very much was soulless, and it's a strange one because you know it, it's not it's not been good at all. It's it's been really um, dreary, you know, difficult to, to watch. No atmosphere. Feels like a training game, and and everything that you can kind of imagine with not being any fans in there. But you do realise that, that you're, you're sitting there watching Liverpool for your living and, and you can't really grumble too much so any kind of moaning that I've done has been to like colleagues or peers who, who I see at the game you know you feel like you're moaning to your mates and, and they're telling you to shut up because you get to watch you know Jürgen Klopp's Reds so it's it's been a difficult one but there's been no doubt about it it's been really tough I mean the, the back end of last season when it all came back it was a bit new and fresh and you knew Liverpool were going to become champions so it wasn't really too much of a hardship it was Liverpool are champions, they've got to play the next seven games, I think it was, and then hopefully next season we'll have fans back in, but that obviously wasn't how it turned out, and we've had an entire season without supporters in there, so it was, it's was it been tough, and, and there's, there's two games that I always think of as the as the main ones, where you kind of think this just isn't right, and, and one of them is the, the Arsenal game in the League Cup, where both teams made changes, um, pretty much a couple of reserve sides playing, Freezing cold, late September night, early October. Um, terrible game, nil-nil, extra time. And then Liverpool get beat on pens. And it's like, you know, do, do we need to be having the League Cup in, in this kind of condensed season when there's going to be so many games coming thick and fast? And then the Michelin game in, in the Champions League at Anfield, the first one when... Um, yeah. First Champions League game since March. And, you know, Champions League games in Anfield are always huge, aren't they? Massive events and... You know, with kind of folklore under the lights, you know, night games and stuff. And and with respect to, to Mitchell and the playing the team who you don't really know too much about. And, and again, it's freezing cold. There's no fans in there. The game's pretty dull and dreary. And, and Liverpool get over the line. And it's all a bit like, is is this it? Is this what it's come to? You know. So it's been it's been really difficult. But 
there was the, the silver lining of the 10,000 fans for the Palace game, and, and that was great. Um, I was looking forward to that for weeks, even when it didn't even look as if Liverpool were going to have anything riding on it. So um, that was a little bit of a kind of toe in the water for what hopefully it will be like in August, September and, and onwards. And hopefully we can get back to some sort of normality next season. Hopefully so. I mean, I mean, obviously... We, we just need that atmosphere kind of back in back in the stadiums, really. And uh, and Els, I'll come to you with this question, kind of following up on what Paul said there. Um, do you see a full season with fans back in back in the ground, you know, in, in some capacity? Um, do you think it's going to be a big help for players who've kind of had seemingly down seasons in compared to you know their their previous years? I'm still kind of looking at kind of Roberto Firmino and Sadio Mane in, in prime examples. You know, Roberto Firmino kind of place the crowd really you see it you know in the start of play the flicks the the, the effort and of course Sadio Mane we've just his relentless work rate really um kind of buoyed on by the crowd as well do, do you see fans being back in the stadium as a bit of a boost to them and hopefully kind of give them a bit more of a kick up the arse that they need next season to put it lightly um yeah at first I didn't really I didn't really hold any water to that I used to think these are footballers these are what they need to do but that extra motivation with like um, 50 odd thousand people cheering you on and allowing you to get that extra 10% is very, very important. And, and players like Firmino and, and Mane will probably benefit from that. Um, us as humans, we need, we need that extra motivation. Remember, you know, sports day, your mum and that shouting you on, yeah, go on, do it. Obviously, <laughs> I used to win all the time, so it didn't really matter to me, innit? But well, to be fair, I saw your gym video yesterday, and you are indeed built different. So that is a that's a fact. <laughs> but yeah, that extra motivation, that extra motivation is very, very handy, and it does come in times. And we've seen it with Liverpool. Um, I know Pete will say Barcelona when we've beaten them four 0 The crowd was phenomenal that day. Um, games gone past. I know this week we'll celebrate in two thousand and one. Um, there's games, games there. Barca again, Barcelona, and we've beaten them in the, in, in the semi-final. So, so the the crowd is always important because it gives you that, as I said, extra ten percent when your body can't take it, but then you just have that extra win from somewhere. So, I'm sure when the fans come back in full capacity, we will see those those kind of players go up a notch. There's even little instances as well, and I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there exactly, else um, in terms of the player performances. But I think in terms of in-game events, really, I kind of go back to the to the Burnley game. Divock Origi's through one-on-one with a goal, and he seemingly clips the air. Uh, he hit the crossbar. Or he hit the post. Can't remember now. I just remember my head being in my hands, thinking I can't yeah, believe he's missed. Um, hit the crossbar, and it's just the roar of the stadium, the energy, the that, the, the the ground, the, that mythical place of Anfield just generates. That sucks the ball into the net. And again, the other game I'll kind of refer to is the, the Real Madrid game at home um, in the quarterfinals. I think with the crowd there, you see a bit more, bit more energy, a bit more roar in the team, a bit more, bit more tempo, a bit more speed, and more than likely Liverpool possibly win that game. But thankfully, we're back in the competition for next year, so we can definitely find out. Um, Pete, I'm going to come to you on this on this question. It's a bit of a you know, this is something that we always speak about quite vocally on. Um, not only as Coppen, but as touchlines the network. Um, past two England friendlies. Um, international football is not my not my cup of tea. Um, I don't think I actually knew all the teams that qualified for the Euros uh, until until this week, uh, in all honesty. Um, but in, in these England friendlies, we've seen pretty much a large section of idiots who've been booing the players taking a knee. Um, 
you know, obviously Gareth Southgate's come out and kind of explained the you know, explained the players' positions. The players have come out as well, specifically Jordan Henderson on on, on the position and what it represents. How are people still not understanding the full aspect of what this act really represents um, and the players' kind of viewpoint behind it? I think the main aspect of that is that people, they don't want um, they don't want to understand, so that's how they're not understanding. You know what I'm saying? They don't want to open up their mind to kind of, um, like, what the players, the message that it's bringing and stuff like that. I think people are giving kind of like a shoddy excuse of, oh, I'm, I don't agree with the Black Lives Matter as an organisation or this and that, but you agree with everyone being equal, don't you? You know what I'm saying? So if you agree with just the, the simple message of everyone being equal, then why shouldn't you like, be with people taking a knee and people stand up for equality? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what the organisation is doing or whatever. You should be with everyone being treated equal and kind of giving a message. And that need, they've been doing it for, what, 12, over, like let's say, like, over a year now? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So if, if you don't get the message now, then you're never going to get it and you don't want to get it. You know what I'm saying? I think we should probably just focus on the majority that are... Um, kind of like accepting it and trying to like change and because I think there was, there was a large p- p- part of the crowd that did ch- um, clap as well so they tried to like kind of clap over the booze so yeah I think we just kind of have to ignore those just those people that are don't want to get and not willing to get it. so yeah there's nothing really we can do about it but just keep going and keep trying to change the um, narrative hopefully. No, I completely agree and I think the whole point of, of the knee is to kind of or educate a younger audience as well. You know, teenagers, people kind of going into their twenties about these issues. People who are still open to kind of learn about these things and being on the right side of history, as opposed to kind of the older generation who are kind of very much stuck in their ways and will boo this because they see it as a political statement, which it pretty much isn't, in all honesty. Um, Paul, I'll come to you, kind of on, on the same question as well. Um, we saw Liverpool kind of take a very strong lead on this. Um, Kind of towards the back end of last season, obviously there's that iconic picture of all, all the uh, all, all the team and the backroom staff uh, around the centre circle at Anfield, kind of taking a knee, and that was strongly led by Trent Alexander-Arnold and Jordan Henderson. Um, did you do, do, do you know whether the club have kind of got like a contingency plan in place just in case there are boos for kind of next season? And can you talk about the, the role that um, some some of the lads in the squad have played in terms of um, amplifying their voice in um, supporting this issue? Yeah, well, the, 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 when the other players took the knee last year at Anfield, um, funnily enough, that was just by chance that they were at Anfield that day. They, they had a, a practice game at, at Anfield and um, were kind of just, they just had two teams, you know, 22 players kind of preparing for for when the, uh, the, the football was coming back. But um, it, it was Van Dyke and, and Wijnaldum, actually, who had seen what had, what had been going on with George Floyd and and the, the protesting in Minneapolis and, and Memphis and I think it was Los Angeles. I think there was three nights of, of uh, protests across America and Van Dyke and Van Alden got together. They spoke with Henderson and Milner because they're the kind of quartet of captains, if you like. They're, they're the leadership committee in the Liverpool squad. And they basically um, come up with it, this idea and, and put it to the rest of the squad and said, look, do, do you just want to take the knee in the centre circle and we can um, get a club photographer to, to get a picture of it? And we can all put it out and, and show that we are behind this uh, Black Lives Matter movement. And um, unanimously, that the squad were in agreement. Um, so all the players did it. And Henderson, uh, someone was telling me actually only what, earlier this week, um, that Henderson spoke to, to Jürgen and he said, look, this is what we're planning to do. He wasn't asking for permission, almost just like a, a heads up. And, and the manager was saying, yeah, fully behind it, fully support it, as do the staff. But um, the players were keen for it to be um 
just the team, just the players, the athletes, because I think at yep. the time, Jaden Sancho had, had you know lifted up a, a thing for George Floyd when he'd scored a couple of days earlier, and I think there was plenty of um, you know NBA players and, and NFL players speaking out at the time. So Liverpool were, were keen to make sure that they were heard as well. So so they did that. Um, obviously, the, the club photographer got an incredible picture of them all in the home and away kits around the centre circle, taking the knee. Uh, unity is strength, and, and that was the message. And it was very much a, a collective message from everyone in, in the Liverpool squad that they were fully behind everyone who who, who was fighting against um, injustice and, and inequality. And that's what the, that's what the England players are doing, isn't it? Now it's it's not it's not hard to understand. And, and I completely agree with you, Peter. You know, people who willfully ignorant towards it and claim it's it's for certain political movements and Marxist ideology and all that. It, it isn't. They just they just want to boo because they don't agree with it. It's it's um it, it's heartbreaking to be honest, but hopefully it, it is just a minority of of um football fans who think that way. And and to your question, Chris, about um have Liverpool got a contingency plan in place? I, I don't think they have because the majority of the fan base the Liverpool fan base uh, are of the same viewpoint, the same way that the Rush 4 are here, the same way that the Liverpool squad is, the same way that pretty much everyone inside the Liverpool bubble is. So um, I don't think there is any plan in place for um, any booing of the knees because at Anfield, I don't think we'll ever hear it. No, that, that's the exact, the exact answer I was I was hoping to hear and I've, I've expected to hear as well. I mean, kind of, you, you look at, Liverpool, the city, Liverpool, the club, and everything it stands for in terms of you know the socialism, like you said, unity, strength, we you are know, stronger together as one. Literally, what we saw uh, again in terms of protests against the European Super League as well, it's just personified in everything that Liverpool does as a unit and as a collective, really. So, no, that, that's that's really that's really good stuff to hear. Um, let's shift the conversation towards Liverpool season performance. Uh, it's a little bit of a cringe worthy thing for some people to talk about, but um, thankfully, it all ended on a very good note. So, I just want to do a quick round robin. And, Pete, I'll start with you. Um, given all the mitigating factors, what would you rate this season out of 10 for Liverpool? I would that's a good question. Um, I think overall, I'll probably have to go with a six. Um, and I'll go with a six because, like, I know we ended it well, but no season without a trophy for me or without, like, a first-place finish, you know what I'm saying, deserves more than, like, an eight or nine. It's not, like, a great season, you know what I'm saying? So, um, we definitely started off well. Um, we looked like we was favourites with the signings of Thiago and Jota. And I was I was quite confident when we got them. And um, Jota comes in on fire. Thiago has a great performance against Chelsea. And you're thinking, like, wow. Man City also, Man City are just crumbling as well. Pep looks like he's lost his mind. And, yeah, we look we look, um, we look, look unstoppable. And then Merseyside derby comes. <laughs> Pickford, you know what I'm saying? He get, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what he was trying to do with Van Dijk. But, yeah, he kind of just crushes him. And our season just, um, just goes down from there. So, we have the six... Um, Home league, six home defeats. I think that definitely doesn't happen without fans, by the way. That definitely doesn't happen without fans. But yeah, we have the six um, home defeats, and that period from it's about like what February or January to like March, April. Yeah, it's just such a such a bad um, period for us. And then we kind of end it well. So consider all things considering, I think we have done well with what we had. So we start to put centre backs at centre back. So we had Nat Phillips and Reese Williams and Quebec. They done well to cover. We put. Fabinho in there and then Thiago start to play well with him. We went on a great run um, last 10 games in eight wins, two draws. We've done well there, but 
I think all things considered, I have to give it a six, to be honest, because, um, like, I look at us as a super club and I look at us as one of the biggest clubs in the world. And at the end of the day, I want to win trophies. I want to win the biggest things. So I can only get really, I have to cap it at a six. He's right. Um, else, about you. Yeah, I feel same. like you'll be a bit more generous. Oh, Ooh, no. really? Yeah, same. I was going to give it a six. Um, I just thought, <sighs> I think we had enough to to do what better than what we've done. I know, yeah, Phillips and Williams weren't as as good as anyone else, but I still believe that the squad as a whole, I feel believe that we should have pushed at least for that second place a bit more. Had we got second with the mitigating factors of losing the, the three centre-backs, I would have given it like a seven or something. I, I personally believe that we had enough in us because when you look at the landscape of the, the whole league, it wasn't really that good. Even Man City running away with the title, they've only finished five points more than what they had last season. Even with the Super Diaz and this, that and the third. Super Diaz. Really <laughs> yeah, can, can you really say that they were like, they had a really good spell. So in the, in the, in the middle where we had a really bad spell, they had a really good spell and they won every single game. Yeah, That was really the, the toss up of it. Um, I still believe Liverpool had enough within the squad to do better. So uh, maybe I'll probably give them a 6.5 just because of the way they ended. But yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, 6.5 for me, man. Sprinkling a little 0.5 on there with like, like a parsley on the end of a good meal. Um, <laughs> we, we love to see it. Paul, um, how about yourself? What would you give the this, this, this season out of 10? Well, when I was reading the kind of itinerary before, I was thinking maybe an eight, just because of how difficult the, the circumstances were. Liverpool were without Van Dijk, Gomez, Mata played the most out of those three, and we played 10 times in the Premier League. Yeah. Liverpool, Liverpool finished the season with, with Matt Phillips and Reese Williams at centre-back for the last five, six games. And if you'd have said that in, in August, you'd have been thinking, what? Just what has gone wrong here, and, and you know a lot. They've done wrong. <laughs> ben Davis and Kabak missed the last month themselves with injuries, and it wasn't just the centre backs, was it? Thiago was out for three months, Jota three months, Fabinho a month, Trent a month, um, Allison missed a fair few games. Um, the only players who weren't really injured were Wijnaldum, Robertson, and and um, Firmino. Uh, but um, I, I can see what you're saying about Liverpool on a super club, and Liverpool exists to win trophies and. And he didn't get near any of them that did early. So um, I downgraded it to a seven. Um, and that's probably about right. Somehow they managed to, to finish third. They were chasing fourth and they finished third. Um, superb end to the season. But those six games where they lost six on the bounce at Anfield was just never known anything like it. And, and as you say, that wouldn't happen if, if fans were in there. Um, you know, when Mohamed Salah equalises against City with 25 minutes to go, Fans, 54,000 fans are in there. Liverpool probably going to win that, don't they? They yeah. don't lose against Fulham. They don't lose against Brighton. They don't lose against Burnley. Probably don't lose against Everton. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we can't. Uh, I mean, all's well, that, all's well that ends well, I guess, and they are in the Champions League. But um, eight was probably pushing it a bit. So seven. Nice, nice effect there. Six, 6.5 and a seven. But I think the one thing we can all agree on is it's absolutely hilarious that the Liverpool team somehow managed to finish third, given all the factors that were stacked against them. Um, I, every time I think about it, it's just, it's just hilarious. Um, 
bro. Absolutely kicked. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a good 10 minutes laughing manically like the Joker after the season. <laughs> I like, third, on, Sunday, really? on that Sunday, I spent 10 minutes laughing. Like, <laughs> why are we third? What's happening there? <laughs> You'd love to see it. Um, I want to touch on something Paul said there as well, um, focused on Mo Salah. Um, and, you know, obviously a bit of a lore season for the Reds, as, as we've said by the uh, by the grades we've given. Um, Mo Salah was one of the players who did kind of stand tall, again, hitting the heights with his goals and some of his fantastic performances um, and shone throughout. Paul, actually, I, I'll start off with you for, with this one. We kind of see that with, with opposition supporters, specifically, and some section of the mainstream media, that Mohamed Salah is still kind of criminally dis- criminally disrespected as a footballer, as an elite level footballer. What why why do you think that is? Honestly, I don't know. Um but I don't think he's the only one because you look at Harry Kane there, he's just won the golden boot and the um the assist king or whatever they call that and he hasn't got anywhere near player of the year has he so um he's not the only one. But you know what it, it doesn't actually bother me too much. I mean Liverpool supporters know how good Mohamed Salah is people who cover the club closely know how good Mohamed Salah is. He's uh, he's unbelievable, and and he'll when he finally does leave Liverpool, he's going to go down as one of the greatest ever players. And you know you, you don't say that lightly, do you? Um, he scored 120 goals, 20 goals or something in, in four seasons. Um, it's just a remarkable football, yeah. And um, I, I do think that he does get overlooked. Uh, I'm not too sure why that is, but I don't think. It's probably a good thing for Liverpool supporters um, for them to just kind of go under the radar and stay out of the the, the best player in the world conversations because Liverpool know how good he is and, and they can just kind of crack on. Um, I remember asking Klopp a similar question. I, I said, what, why do you think he goes under the radar? And, and he said, well, he, he doesn't for us, so I'm not sure he does. And, and that pretty much summed it up. I mean, I suppose that's probably the best best way for Liverpool fans to go about it. You know, they know he's world-class, so... Um, if other teams don't, so what? Fantastic, fantastic answer. Uh, as, as long as he kind of creeps under the radar from some of yeah. the bigger teams, uh, it's all, all in Liverpool's benefit, really. Um, Pete, I'll come to you as well um, on, on that same question, kind of following off on what Paul said there. Why, why do you think Mohamed Salah is still kind of criminally disrespected? I mean, we see it kind of every day, really, um, on, on the timeline and stuff, that he's very well disrespected in terms of the elite tackers, not only in the Premier League, but in world, but not only world football, but in the Premier League as well. Um, some people have, have quoted that um, Riyad Mahrez is um, a, a better footballer than uh, than Mohamed Salah. What, what, why, what do you think drives this kind of weird um, disrespect of one of the best footballers we've seen in the Liverpool shirt? Yeah, I think it's, it's strange because he's a player that does divide opinion. And I don't know why he divides opinion. Like, just look at his record. Look at what he's done for the club. Um, like, the amount of goals he scored. Like, it's crazy. Like, he, you know what I'm saying? He's a certified goal scorer. He gets you goals no matter the weather, no matter the season, no matter the players around him. And if he, even if you ask our fan base, you have some of our fan base. So we'll say, yeah, Salah's good, but he's not, you know what I'm saying? He, he didn't play well this game. He's, he hasn't got the best dribbling. He doesn't go past this player like that. He's a bit clumsy. And I just think that's, that's really strange to me because... Like, we're talking about getting these players in. So we talk, maybe people talk about getting Mbappe's in, your, um, I don't know, Sancho's in. We've got a player right here who literally gets you goals. You know what I'm saying? He will get you goals, assists. And he's just, he's superb. Like, he's an absolute superstar. And I think, like Paul said, we won't really appreciate him until he kind of goals. 
So, yeah, I, I, I'm not too sure. I think maybe one of the reasons is the first season he had. So the first season where he scores so many goals, I think people kind of expected him to kind of keep 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 going at that sort of unsustainable rate, which was never sustainable, you know what I'm saying? So it's funny because if he had a career where his career was reverse order, so if he had, if he got like the, that season, if he had it now, I think people would rate him more. So he's kind of yeah. a victim of his own success in a weird way. So I think that first season really kind of set him up for um, criticism. But yeah, regardless, he, he's still a top, top player. And I'm just grateful that we have him. No, 100%. Yeah. Sorry, Chris, I'm just about to say, I was, I was going to make that exact point. If, if Salah, Salah's numbers are reversed, if he just finished this season with 44 and he's got 31 on his first season and, you know, 22 and 24, whatever it is in between, People will be people will be looking at him thinking, you know, th- this lad is is one of the world's best. So it, it's strange, isn't it? But that's just the way it is. Yeah, it really is. Um, it, it's crazy how we analyze footballers like this. We kind of don't take the consistency into account. We always kind of go for that one red, I say red hot kind of anomaly season. But it's just Salah's best season, and he's kind of capped. He's stayed at that level, um, which is just absolutely fantastic really no one would have thought we were getting this kind of player when we signed him uh from roma all those years ago um else i'll come to you on this one um one word one name answer please uh for this i feel like we're all going to be quite unison in who this player is going to be who's your surprise package from this season so who's the player that stood out the most to you who you didn't expect to kind of be very impressed by um be phillips in it it's gonna to have to be. Um, I know you wanted one, word, but I'm sorry. I'm gonna to have to say a few more. No, uh, no, yeah. go on. <laughs> uh, yeah, as, as long as we're as, as long as we're all in agreement that it is Nat Phillips. Yeah, Nat <laughs> yeah. Phillips. Um, if we're gonna keep it a hundred, he. I don't want to be disrespectful to him, but he's capped at a limit in comparison to what we have. Um, he knows what he's good at, and he tries and stays within that. And he made a big difference. The two games he didn't play in the last 10, Leeds and Les- Leeds and Newcastle, he was actually missed. I remember I was saying, Chris, like, I actually missed him because the two goals that we did concede, had he been there, he would have cleared lines. Like, he's somebody yeah. that he's, he's a pure um, old-school British defender who just thinks about clearing his lines first and worries about everything else after. He's not here to play football even though he does play football, he's just had to just get rid of it and, and sort out the defence. And to be fair to him, he he took the mantle and he took it upon himself to like do his job and he done his job well. And yeah, I was kind of astonished. I was astonished. I've always knew he was a decent player, like even when he had the cameos, the FA Cup game against Everton, he came in with Gomez and he, he done well there. So you can always see that maybe the level at Liverpool was too high. Um and that's that's no shame in saying there's nothing wrong in saying that we are at a, a ridiculous level at the minute. So um yeah. So for him for him to come in and, and just to like help Liverpool when we really needed help was a big testament to him. So yeah, I'm gonna go for that Phillips. Um, Paul, I'll kind of um I'll, I'll come to you on, on this next part. Obviously there's a really good piece by your by your colleague Theo. Uh, over at the, the Liverpool Echo, like, obviously focused on Nat Phillips, and I think we, we quickly forget that last October he was very much on the verge of uh, of a move away from Anfield. How you know, kind of took about butterfly flex and sliding doors moment. Thank God yeah. that, that didn't happen because he's come out so clutch uh, in, in this season, and he's really done um, everything 
in in his in his remit and his ability, like Elsa said, to kind of really nail down um, a spot in this Liverpool team for next year as well. Yeah, hundred um, percent. As Elsa said, there he's he's a he's a defender's defender, isn't he? He, he gets his head in there. He's he likes to get his tackles in, his blocks in, and, and he doesn't do a whole lot more. He doesn't really need to. He's, he's not particularly mobile. He's not the quickest. He's not, uh, you know, he's not a fan bike with the ball at his feet. But um, he's, he's one of those. He's one of those centre backs. Sorry to interrupt you, Paul. He's one of those centre backs where your dad watches football and he goes, "That's a footballer." Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a dad's defender. That's <laughs> That's a he's your dad's defender. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a throwback, yeah. That, that's exactly what he is, yeah. Um, no, uh, no ways or graces to him. Just an absolute uh, defender, a warrior, and he really stood up and was counted this season. And yeah, you, you rightly pointed to Theo's piece. I think Theo was able to to get him on a, on a Zoom chat um, whenever it was quite recently, and and he was telling him about how he nearly left. I think it was Bristol City at the time that were interested, and, and his bags were packed in the car, and, and he was on his way, and um, didn't quite work out, did it? And thank. Thank uh, Liverpool's lucky stars that it didn't, because uh, you, you wonder who they were going to be picking if they didn't have Matt Phillips on hand. And, and uh, yeah, as we said there, the, the, the two games that he didn't win in that ten-game run were when he wasn't in the team. And, and um, if you look at the goals, they can see that specifically one was a corner, wasn't it? Evans yeah. had a six box against Leeds, and another one was a was it um, Joe Willock who, who profited from a knockdown? You know, you kind of think if that had been put in the air, then Matt Phillips is attacking that all day long, and Liverpool have got six points instead of two. So um, yeah, he, he's certainly kind of given himself a shot at having a, a tough like career. There. Whether it's at Liverpool, I think the power now is in his hands. I think Klopp will be desperate to keep him. Um, obviously, they just signed Canate, and he'll have Van Dijk, Gomez, and Matt back at some point. But uh, I think Klopp. Quite likes him. I think he sees a little bit of himself in him. Actually, you know, a bit of a rugged, durable defender who, who was not blessed with, you know, um, ball playing abilities, but um, has made a made a creative for himself. So, um, if he's got suitors in the tough lights, you know, I I look, look at Burnley and think he'd be absolutely ideal for for a team like that. If he's got, it's weird. Um, it's it's weird that we always deflect to Burnley. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we yeah, think about potential yeah. destinations for that for them. It's just because of the way the way they defend, don't they? On their own six yard box yeah. to get the levels in the tackles in the blocks, and that's not Phillips to a T. So um if he's got I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if he didn't have someone interested and then the power's up to him if he wants to go and make a career for himself somewhere else in the Premier League, he'll go with a, a massive, massive pat on the back. What do you think in terms of valuation would have to be met for him to uh, potentially leave? Good question. Um well, I think the way Liverpool work with their valuations is, I mean, sometimes people think that Michael Edwards is some sort of mythical guru, but it's very much based on market prices. So they got £22 million for Rian Brewster last summer because of Ollie Watkins going to Aston Villa. Um, Ollie Watkins was smashing it with Brentford. I think he, he, he was top scorer in the championship and Liverpool looked at Brewster and he scored 11 goals in 22 games for Swansea and thought, well, that's fairly... Comparable, okay. so we will yep. X amount of money for, for him. And they did something similar with a uh, Taiwo Awan. I can never say, say his name. Awan, you, you know, Awani. yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, there was interest from um clubs in Belgium, and I think he'd, he'd just been on loan in Belgium and he'd scored a similar amount to, to Wesley. Is I think Wesley had gone to Aston Villa that same summer. I think Liverpool looked at it and think, well, he, he's gone for 20 odd million, so we're asking for 15 for, for our guy. So it's very much based on on market prices. So 
Um, I suppose evaluation for Nat Phillips would come if there's another kind of centre back departure this this summer in the Premier League. Um, for me, I think you'd be uh, looking at somewhere between ten and fifteen million now for Nat Phillips. Twenty twenty odd games for Liverpool last summer, uh, last season rather. Um, this is a team that finished there in the Premier League after all, so um, I w- wouldn't be giving them away if I was Liverpool. Yeah, I I completely agree, and that's that's a really interesting tidbit as well about um obviously how they kind of benchmarked Rian Brewster against um Ollie Watkins with valuation there. They definitely did, didn't know that, so that's going to be interesting, and especially for a one year as well. Is that a fairly decent um season um in Germany for Union Berlin? I, I got really, I got I got corrected by Chris Williams, Bundesliga correspondent, on the pronunciation of that. So I have to do it as Union Berlin, and not Union Berlin. So yeah, it would be interesting to see what the uh, what, what the comparison for that one will be in terms of Bundesliga. Um, obviously, we we know the Premier League clubs do have an interest in in, uh, in Bundesliga strikers. Um, Paul, actually, another, another question for you, Colin, before we end this one quick section. Um, we've obviously discussed the intensity and, and, the, and the grit that you know the, the lads showed towards the end of that season, going on that 10-game unbeaten streak to close it out. Do, do you think Klopp and, and the players can, can kind of really frame this as great motivation uh, to use throughout pre-season to really ensure they hit the ground running um, and get back to the heights that not only them as players, but well, not only us as fans, but them, those, them as players are, are really accustomed to? Yeah, I, I think there'll be a de- determination in the squad for someone to really kind of put up a better fight than they did last season for the title. I think they they'll know that um, these injuries is a bit of a freak season, and, and if it doesn't happen again, then they've got every chance of matching City next season for the title. And, and I think I'm, I think a good preseason is needed. Um, and I was looking at the, looking at the squads for the Euros, and, and there's actually not too many um, who are going. Thiago's obviously there, Jota, um, obviously Henderson's going, but aside from that, you know, there's not too many. The, the front three, uh, obviously African and South American, Fabinho, South American, Allison, Brazilian. Um, Nico Williams is, is going, but okay, he doesn't play every week, does he? And the, the, the game time will do him with the world of good as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so, particularly for him. He hasn't played much, has he? But generally, I think Liverpool are going to be having fairly strong complements of players when... when the resumed training on the 12th of July and then over the next couple of weeks, you know, inching towards August, they'll have uh, most of them back. So I think if, if they get a solid pre-season under the belt, they can really hit the ground running for next season. And I think they will have something of a point to prove once they get players fit and ready and, and they'll, they'll be uh, flying. No, I love it. Revenge tour, the revenge season, yeah. the Liverpool Football Club revenge season for next year. Hopefully they come out all guns blazing. Uh, let's move on to talk about... Um, well, I guess he's now former Liverpool midfielder, Jorginho Wijnaldum. Peter, I'm going to come to you on this as you are his, his biggest fan. I'm, I'm thinking of the Davido video where he goes, fan love, fan love. That is definitely you uh, with Ginny. Um, don't worry. Actually, let us know when your birthday is and we'll get you a PSG shirt with his um, with, with his name on the back. Um, obviously, from, from, from there, really, it now appears uh, and seemingly confirmed by Fabrizio Romano that he's now heading to Paris Saint-Germain on a fairly sizable contract. I think it's... is it four years um, and after tax he'll be earning about 160000 a week so he's pretty much doubled uh, his salary from what he was earning at Liverpool um, with a club like PSG and a manager such as Pochettino very much driven to kind of make a really big investment of a player um, of his calibre and of his age do, do you now think it's a it's a bigger mistake for Liverpool letting him walk? 
Um, yeah, so in terms of um, Genie Wijnaldum, like everyone knows that I'm, I'm a big, big fan of him, and it's just because of how reliable he is. And I, I'll say every week, like, he's one of Jurgen Klopp's most trusted soldiers. Like, honestly, he's one of the first names on the team sheet, always. Like, Klopp always trusts him with a game plan. When it comes to the big games, he's always on the team sheet, you know what I'm saying? If he's not, then he's the first sub to come off the bench and score two goals, you know what I'm saying? So, um, I think. No matter how the season plays out, there's going to be a couple of games this season where we're going to be like, I miss Gini Vajinaldum. You know what I'm saying? Because like his durability and the way he's been able to be available every game, um, it's really, really key for us. So, like, in all honesty, I, I actually think that, if you want me to be totally honest, I think Klopp has actually tried to kind of not maybe edge him out the side. So maybe in terms of like buying people like Keita, he's tried to go to like a more centralised style of football, Oxley Chamberlain. Um, oh, and then what normally happens is that these they're not reliable. They're not as reliable as a Gini Wijnaldum. And Gini Wijnaldum always ends up back in the side. You know what I'm saying? So, like, he's literally... So, we always go back to having Gini Wijnaldum in the midfield. So, my kind of concern is that how do we look like without Gini Wijnaldum? How does our midfield look like when maybe Henderson is getting a bit older, he's getting a little bit more knocks, Milner... He's obviously, you know what I'm saying, he can't go on forever, bless him, you know what I'm saying, what a guy, but he can't literally play on until, you know what I'm saying. So even even like Thiago, Thiago, he's notoriously known for not completing seasons, you know what I'm saying, fully, you know what I'm saying. So we have a lot of midfielders that might take a bit of like knocks and injuries, obviously not to mention KR and Chamberlain. So how does our midfield kind of look like without um, Gini Wijnaldum? And hopefully it can look like maybe someone like Curtis Jones getting more game time, I don't know if we'll get a replacement in, but yeah, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit concerned to be honest of how, how we might look like without Genie. Yeah, and also going on for that um, point, um, Paul, you made a, you made a, um, a suggestion saying that with the captaincy in regards to taking the knee, you were talking about how Genie and Van Dijk were, were leading that. Um, we know that Genie is the fourth captain in the in the squad, who do you think will take over that mantle? Because he, he is someone that does um, he does grant a lot of respect, and he's a big leader. He, he's, he's more he's not really a talker, but he's more of a guy who goes out there and and does what he needs to do. Um, and leads by example. Who do you think will take over that that mantle? Uh, it's a good question, actually. I haven't, I haven't thought about it too much, but in terms of of the way the the kind of makeup of the squad is I think they will look to promote someone, you know, just when things need discussion as a group, as we mentioned with the, the whole taking a knee thing, it was those four who, who kind of knocked their heads together to come up with the plan. Um, I mean, Klopp's always been, I mean, he's never been too concerned with who his captain is in any given game, if that makes sense. He's obviously got his club captain in Jordan Henderson and the vice captain in Milner, but, you know, He's given the cap. He gives the captain's armband to whoever's been there the longest, and when he give it to um, to Trent instead of Salah or however what that that you know with Mitchell and um, Salah kind of took that as a bit of a his nose out to out to joint, didn't he? And and Klopp admitted that it was a mistake because he probably should have given it to Origi because Origi had been there the longest, and and he just didn't really think about it, you know, with, with all the you know the things you've got to worry about during a, a game, so. I'm not sure who's going to be getting promoted to, to that to that fourth man. Um, 
It's a very good question. What do you think Trent might step up? He's only only 22, but he's been in the, in the first team now for, for three years or so. Um, he's always had designs on eventually being Liverpool captain, so potentially he could be one of them. Um, I think so. Firmino was the captain of the game um, against oh, West yeah. Brom, so and he's been there the longest. So yeah. if we're going by order of rank and kind of he's been there the longest, so it probably would probably be with Firmino. But in my personal opinion, I think it probably should be Salah. So Salah's yeah, influence so on the team, being yeah. the goal scorer, being at like, and he's he's the captain of Egypt as well. I think it should probably go to Salah. But yeah. I don't know whether it will or not. And I think towards the towards the end of the season, he was really taking that mantle. Um, he was really like really pushing the team. He was celebrating all the goals. He was destroying yeah. it. Even against Man United, you can see how much it meant to him to have that captain's arm and him scoring that last goal. So I think he was really like priming himself for that for that role. And and I think we 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 should really give it to him. To be fair, yeah, I I, th- I think he he's probably got the the biggest claim to it, hasn't he? Now after after four superb years to, to kind of step into that that role as the one of the one of the four men. No, yeah, I, I, I def, definitely feel the same. To be fair, it'd be interesting to see Trent obviously put in that position. I think a bit of a dark horse candidate possibly could be um, maybe Curtis Jones. I, 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 you always see him kind of with his leadership abilities and how vocal yeah. he is. That'd be quite interesting. I think he might be a little bit too young for that mantle, but um, no, it'd be it'd be definitely interesting to see. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was not sorry, Peter. Yeah, I'll just ask you before we move on. So, do you think that we're going to get a signing in to kind of replace Genie, or you think someone's going to step up in in terms of like Curtis? Or well, everything that the, I'm getting told at the moment is that the focus is very much on the contracts in July. So it's um, Benio and Allison are kind of front and centre for, for that. When when they come back to training, and they're going to try and get Van Dijk, Salah, Trent, and Robertson tied down to contracts, and that's very much. The focus at the moment, but um, Man Alden played fifty-one times last season. So to just, yeah. just that without getting a replacement in is is bonkers. I think. I mean, we know that there are other players in there who can step up on any given game, but after three seasons of, of so many different little niggling injuries and so on, are you going to trust Naby Keita to play thirty games a season? Oxley Chamberlain. Um, Milner, we know, is, is 35, he'll be 36 in January, I think. So um, it's a big task for Fabinho, Henderson and Thiago to, to stay fit throughout the season. And let's face it, Henderson, he kind of escapes it a little bit, but he, he's had his fair share of injuries over the years and, and so has Thiago. So for me, it's Liverpool have to get a central midfielder this summer, but um, everything I'm hearing at the moment is that the contracts are the focus and then... See what see what they can do, but um, yeah, for me they've got to get a centre mid in. Do you, do so you think they changed the shape? Oh, sorry, go on. Go on. No, no, go, go on, else. Yeah, yeah. Do you think they changed the shape because where we had that we had Genie there, we was really regimented in the three in the middle. So obviously, when you have three midfielders, you have that three less. But then you're now taking Genie away. Do you think we can go to like a two in the middle where we will have uh, um? Thiago and Hendo swapping, swapping roles. So obviously Fabinho will be the mainstay, but then you have Thiago next to him one game and Hendo next to him the other game. So that will keep them fresh. Do you think that could happen? Yeah, they've definitely got, got the ability to do it, haven't they? But Liverpool didn't play that much last season. And I know they 
played it at Manchester City, didn't he? The 4-2-3-1. And, and it was very bold, actually, going with Jota, Firmino, Salah and Mane. And, and it worked for, for the best part of the 40 minutes. Um, Liverpool eventually ran out of energy in, in the second half and, and uh, both teams were happy to settle for the points. And uh, I think it was at Newcastle, the, the other game, when they used it and they created a half full of chances, didn't they? Mane missed the sitter, Salah missed the couple. And on another day, Liverpool would have won that game quite comfortably. So... It is. It's an exciting prospect, isn't it? To think that um, in certain games they can go with the two and, and and the four up front essentially, and just look to blow teams away. Um, so maybe maybe Klopp is thinking that he can use that a little bit more next season. But for me, as I say, I mean just for the players so durable and so reliable as Wijnaldum, to kind of just toss that aside without the replacements is is a bit, you know, a bit mad for me. It is a bit reckless, and uh, I, I want to know your opinion, Paul. Obviously, not 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 what you not what you're hearing in terms of you know potential uh, rumblings from 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 whoever it may be. But in your opinion, who should be kind of the person or the profile of player that Liverpool should look to bring in as the Wijnaldum replacement this summer? Good question. Um, Wijnaldum is almost the uh, the Swiss Army knife in midfield, isn't he? You can play as a six, an eight, as a ten. He's played at centre back. He's played up front. In the, in the Champions League semi-final against Barcelona, um, so he's um, he's pretty much got the perfect skill set to be in a clock midfield. Works so hard, shields the ball better than anyone really, and, and that is going to be hard to replicate. Um, but Basuma seems to be the one at the moment. There's neither people are, are clamouring for. Um, every time I've seen him at Brighton, um, not haven't made a habit of watching Brighton, but whenever I have seen him, he, he always looks like he's he's a player with plenty of potential and and uh, and plenty of ability. So. He could be one, um, but it's it's uh, it's difficult, isn't it? You know, making that step up to playing in a game clock midfield. It's probably one of the most difficult jobs in world football, I'd, I'd suggest. So um, Liverpool are going to have to um, choose carefully. You know, who's going to be the, the one to come in, come in? But um, yeah, everything I've seen of Basuma suggests that he would be a, at least a passable replacement for me. No, I think that's that's really key. What you said there, I think. Um... Being in a Jurgen Klopp midfield is one of the most difficult jobs in football. And I think it's one of the most thankless jobs in football as well. Uh, and we've definitely seen it with, with, with Wijnaldum. We've seen some sections of the fan base kind of happy that he's leaving. And obviously a large section obviously disappointed that he's leaving. So it's weird that you know, players can be divided in, in this manner. So let's move on to the next section that we're going to talk about. And it's I think it's the one, especially at this time of year, is what everyone wants to hear about. It's what gets the streets rumbling. Uh, the transfer talk. Uh, and Paul, obviously, I'm, I'm obviously going to start off with yourself. Um, you had a really good piece on, on the Echo in terms of um, potential outgoings at LFC as opposed to incomings. Um, what, what do you see the outlook being like for guys such as you know Marco Marco Gruich, Jujikiri, uh, and, and Divock Origi? What, what type of offers um, are potentially on the table for, for these players? And do you see them leaving Liverpool this summer? Uh, I see Marco Gruich leaving, yeah, um, at this point now. Um, we, we had a story on, on the Echo website on Sunday, I think. Um, I, I was off. It was my colleague, Ian Doyle. Uh, he's, he's spoken to one or two people around the club and, and um, the what, what the suggestion was was the Porto were, were looking to actively make a move for uh, for Gruich. Liverpool were inundated with, with messages um, earlier in the, in the season. So after the Juventus game in the Champions League, I think there was teams from Germany and, and Italy getting in touch with Liverpool. And, and at the time, what Liverpool were keen to stress was 
they're not, they're not making a decision yet. They want to speak to Porto when the season's over and kind of respect them to, to pause any kind of negotiations until Porto were given almost first refusal. I mean, I'm not sure that was in the loan contract, but Liverpool kind of were courteous enough to, to speak to Porto first. And it yeah. does seem as though Porto are interested. Um, so they're looking to kind of move one or two around at the moment before they can finance a move for, for Gruwich. But um, I think I think Liverpool view him quite quite highly actually he's what is he 25 now he's he's only he's played less than 20 games for Liverpool and he was Jürgen Klopp's first sign and so um if you've been here five years and, and you're still not a regular the writing is probably on the wall but Liverpool will, will look for you know a decent fee for him that will hopefully be replenished into the uh into the into the transfer kitty and um I, I do see Gruitz leaving um Origi yeah I think this might be his final Few uh, few weeks at Liverpool. It's been a strange career, hasn't it? You know, loans at Lille and Wolfsburg, and winning goals in the Champions League final, and goals against Barcelona in the Champions League final. So many goals seemingly against Everton. He's had a really strange career of ups and downs at Liverpool, but I think he may finally be heading for the the exit door. Um, and Chikiri, yeah, Chikiri decided to stay actually in October. He, he had. I had interest in January of 2020 from Sevilla and Roma. And I think Klopp at the time was keen to, to say, we're about three months away from winning the Premier League, so it's all hands on deck and we're not going to risk anything that, that might derail this, so stay yeah. for now. And then in the in the autumn, with, with the, the new kind of dates of the transfer window, I think there was interest from a couple of teams in Italy, and that was why he was left out of the Arsenal game in the League Cup by Harry Wilson started in his place. Um, but in the end, he chose to stay. And I think he's probably looking at, at his career now. I think he's 29, is he? And he might be thinking it's time for him to go and play regularly for the last few years of his career as well. So, yeah, uh, those three players you mentioned, actually, I think um, they're probably all heading for the exit door this summer. Yeah, no, I I, I completely agree. Um, you mentioned Harry Wilson there as well. What's kind of the current situation with, with him? Obviously, had a very good end to that let's that loan spell at Cardiff, you know, scored a, a brilliant hat trick and performed really well uh, alongside kind of Shea Ojo as well. Um, did, did you see him potentially leaving? Um, obviously, he's kind of getting to that 24, uh, 25 age range now yeah. where he kind of needs to kick on and kind of really kind of settle down in, in one place and, and build his career up as opposed to having loan moves. Do you, do you think he'll probably be seeing the, uh, the exit door to pastures new? This summer, yeah, I, I do. He's another one. I think he would have left for Burnley last summer. Only the two teams couldn't agree a fee. I think Liverpool were looking for around about 15 million for him, and Burnley were looking for something closer to 10, and, and there was no agreement. And uh, he basically went back to, to Wales quite late towards the end of the transfer window just because he needed to be out there playing, and obviously it, it suited him being back in his, in his homeland. So I think this summer, again, I don't think Liverpool are going to be um, looking to, to be selling anyone. On the cheap, I think they will drive a hard bargain as they usually do. But um, I think if they can find the buyer for Wilson, he's another one who might have uh, played his last game for, for Liverpool. One of the guys that we is uh, hotly debated, kind of in this group, and else I'll come to you. It is it is Mr. Naby Keita, as 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 Paul mentioned kind of earlier on up here as well. Can't this will be his fourth season now? I believe he'll be heading into his fourth season at Liverpool. He's not really made the landmark impact that we all expected um, from the from the guy that we've signed a year in advance. 
from 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 Leipzig. Obviously, various issues with injuries um, that have kind of derailed his Liverpool career so far. We 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 can definitely see the bright sparks. We've not just seen it in a consistent spell, really. Do, do, do you think he's one of the players else for, for, for you that Liverpool should possibly be looking to try and move on this summer? Um, ordinarily, I would say yeah. I would say yeah because he's still at a good age. You can still get in a decent amount for him. But at the same time, like you said, we know he has quality. You don't want to lose too many quality players. We've lost Genie already. Um, we don't want to lose another quality player, Navi Keita in our midfield so I would personally say it's the last chance to lose him and Ox it's the last chance it, it's this this is literally the last chance you can show us that you can do something if not boy kick racks but yeah he, <laughs> but yeah well, he's now to be saying sorry how many chances are we going to give him like how many I have to be honest like and I, I love their profile. So I love Matip's profile. I love um, Katie's profile. But yeah. it's frustrating to me because we're having to rely on these players every season. So every season we go into like, a campaign saying, OK, we've got um, Naby Keita, we've got so-and-so that's got depth. But where are they? When it comes to when it comes to um, the crucial points, we can't rely on them. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather get players in who probably not have got the same quality, but at least we can rely on them. At least they're fit. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. It like, is very I, frustrating. I, I so Peter, go now I'm saying I'm of the opinion that I'd rather get a player in, a player in who's more reliable, maybe not the same as quality as him, but just more reliable, really. Yeah, and I think that's where it is, and I think that's the frustration. Frustrating thing is like, for instance, someone like Genie. Um, Genie frustrated me a lot, but I knew that yeah, he's gonna play, and he's still a quality player. And when he's on the team sheet, he he when he when his name's on the team sheet, it fills us with a bit of confidence because we have a top player playing. Someone like Naby, who's who's got all this um ability he came to the club with a lot of fanfare i remember on twitter like people were saying he's gonna displace henderson this that and the third and and unfortunately he couldn't um he's nowhere to be seen so for me personally because of the quality that he, he does possess and and the type of ability he does have i mean if you have like um someone like tiago and nabi and fabinho in the midfield it's very tantalizing and and these are players that beat players for fun and, and they try to do things. So that's a prospect that you, you do think about. But again, can you be available? I mean, what's the point of having someone like that and he plays less than a third of the season? And when you're trying to go for trophies and you're trying to win things, you've got a player like that who's just is a hindrance. So again, if you're asking me, I'll probably give him um, one more year. If, if he can't play at least, at least 30 games. Boy. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> Biggie, 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 yeah. give me one more chance. Um, <laughs> Paul, Paul, I'll come to you kind of on the cater topic. It's obviously, it's it's no secret that the manager obviously rates him fairly highly. I mean, he played him away in the game against Real Madrid in the first leg, albeit kind of didn't work out particularly well. Um, and we know that the manager obviously has beliefs in, in, in his quality and what he can bring to the team. But do, do, you, do you think for Liverpool, obviously, he's probably got, I think he's got two years left on his contract now as well. Um, he's on a fairly sizable amount of money. Do you think if a decent offer did come in for Kite this season, let's say, um, obviously, let's, let's just say uh, British Dortmund come in with £35 million for him, do you think Klopp, Edwards and the rest of the guys would kind of sit there and contemplate selling the player to kind of fund some other transfers that they might be looking to make? 
I think Michael Edwards would book his flight for him if uh, Dortmund offered 35 million. <laughs> um, do you know what, what's interesting with, with Cater is um, fans and, and media and, and everyone, they've been having the same debate, haven't they, for four years? Three years. Yeah. It's just, it is just great player, but we can't get him on the pitch. Um, it's, I think it's, it's probably time to cut the losses if there is a team interested. Um, I, I don't know if there is. I think with it being a, a very strange transfer market this summer, I think he might be a kind of too too much of a pricey asset for teams in Germany who don't typically pay huge fees, do they? I mean, he's probably shown... I've seen this on Twitter, actually, and when I've seen it, I thought, yeah, do you know what? I, I completely agree with that. He's probably... RB Leipzig's greatest ever player, isn't he? When you think that this is a club we were only established in 2009. So they would would probably love to have him back, wouldn't he? But as you say, whether Liverpool are willing to take X amount of losses on a player who cost them 52 million, I'm not sure. But the interesting thing for me was is when he played in Madrid and he got brought off after like 43 minutes. And we never saw him again. Yeah, exactly. At the time, you think, well, that's Cater. He's probably injured, isn't he? But uh, Klopp said after the game, you know, we got asked what what's up, what was up with Cater, and he said, oh no, it's just a tactical decision. So to bring a player off two minutes before half time, um, when the team's really struggling, it was almost a, a massive kind of. I mean, I didn't necessarily agree with it. I thought it was a bit harsh. It was almost just like a pointing the finger. Of, this is where we've gone wrong. You're getting the you're getting the, the hook because you've had a shocker. If you'd have sucked them at half time, no one would have batted as much of an eyelid, if you know what I mean, if, nah. if that makes sense. Paul, mate, he was struggling, brother. He was killing us, mate. He was <laughs> he was having us in a blender. He was killing Trent. He had to come off. Oh. Yeah, no, I, yeah, no, I, I, I agree he, he didn't have a good game at all, but I thought it was harsh to to kind of single him out before half time. He could have easily yeah, yeah. two more minutes and just, just brought yeah. him off at half time. I mean, yeah. it's the right season. Because. Yeah. He didn't play well at all, and, and it's interesting that he hasn't been seen since. So I, I think maybe the, the patience has, has run out with, with Jürgen Klopp on Navigator, and um, as you say, if, if Dortmund, you know, hypothetically offered that this summer, I think he would be off, but um, I don't think that will be the case. The hypothetical Dortmund situation, indeed. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like a really weird, um, I say really weird, uh, a, a kind of a, a nice situation for him to possibly be in would be maybe be Atletico Madrid. Obviously, we've kind of seen what they're doing. And, you know, there's talk of obviously Saul uh, leaving the club. Um, league champions have a bit, little bit of money behind their back. Might be a nice signing for them. I'm kind of willing this into existence more than anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to hearing anything tangible. But, yeah, um, I, I completely agree with everything you said there. I think if a sizable offer does come in, I think you have to obviously... I mean, you just do have to kind of take it, really, because if there's one thing the season has shown, and obviously from our one-idle discussion, is that availability is one of the best qualities you can have in the squad at the moment, especially when um, we are lacking one thing from midfield, and that's goals and assists, and a little bit of a creative spark. Um, Paul, actually, I'll, I'll come, come back to you, to you on this. We, we've kind of detailed this summer, and to, to a lesser extent than the summer before, as kind of the summer of opportunity uh, in terms of you know some of the the talent that might be available to sign. You kind of look at you know Jaden Sancho's. Uh, Last season, Kai Havertz, Jude Bellingham, etc. Um, the the club club seemed a little bit reluctant to kind of make an investment for one of these generational talents that that are possibly on the market. Um, is it any, any kind of indication as, as as to why there is? Is it is it just a just a price issue? Um, and I guess kind of seeing me on the back of that, 
Um, can you understand some of the frustration fans might have when the club kind of seemingly don't want to kind of when we're in the, when we're in the position that we're in, you know, fresh off winning the league, winning the Champions League, the club kind of don't want to take that next step and sign one of these generational talents to keep the uh, keep the party going, as it were. I think they've been really unlucky with, with, with the pandemic. Uh, I think they were ideally positioned, you know, when you when you look back to March 2020, they had the night deal on the horizon and, and they had a, a squad full of elite players and looked like they were really going to kind of push on and, and cement a legacy and be a little bit of a, of a new Liverpool dynasty. And then the pandemic happened and, um, you know, Liverpool have had no match day income since since you know 18 months um and Liverpool earn about three million pound per home game uh, they've lost about 120 million as a result of the pandemic and they're not a football club who are backed by a sugar daddy you can just write off you know x amount of losses it's very much um cut your cloth accordingly and, and people don't want to hear it but it, it's obviously the way that Fenway Sports Group work and and for so long it, it has put them in good stead hasn't it I mean I can understand the frustrations that I really can, but um, the, the financial realities of it all means that they're probably never going to be in, in the hunt for players who are upwards of 100 million plus. Um, I mean, Liverpool as a football club have never been that way anyway. If you look at some of their greatest players in history, they were never brought to Anfield as the superstars, really. I mean, you know, even going back from Kenny Daglish's days when he replaced Kevin Keegan and Robbie Fowler come through the academy and... and um, anyone you want to name, Fernando Torres was a little bit, little bit different, wasn't he? He kind of was a almost a bit of a ready-made star. But Liverpool have never been a club who um, pay what Manchester United do, for example, in wages and and fees. And certainly Chelsea over the last fifteen, close to twenty years now, isn't it? In City, they just buy 50, 60 million players by the dozen. So um, look, I, I, I can I understand why fans are frustrated, but. Um, just, just the way Liverpool have always operated, and certainly with, with the current ownership, um, they're not um, a group who who can necessarily match the likes of Chelsea and, and Man City for for fees. So, um, I think they'll continue to box clever with the recruitment team that they've got, and continue to kind of pull up uh, a few gems here or there. I mean, I think there's a case to be made that Thiago was probably the um, the most high-profile player that Liverpool have ever bought. Um, yeah. He's only played for two other clubs, Barcelona and Bayern Munich, and he's one of the um, most decorated players of the last 10 years. Um, and he was kind of a little bit of an opportunistic buy because his contract was was up and uh, he wanted a fresh challenge. So um, it's, it's just not Liverpool's way of operating. So um, I can't see them ever being in, in the mixer for a, for a Kylian Mbappe, sadly, um, as, as much as we'd all love to see him in Anfield. Certainly not while he's... Uh, you know, PSG don't have to sell, and he's probably valued at 200 million. Sir Paul, you've literally just crushed Ellis's heart. There. <laughs> I, I, I try to tell Ellis this every no, day. Look, they get a bad I said it's possible if they if they swing around some numbers, if they wanted to do it, they could. But it's, it's a possibility. But but I've always been on opinion that, like you said, Paul, we've never done that. We've never ever bought a superstar. So I don't know why fans. Decided that oh they want a super. We've never done it. Even Suarez, he wasn't a superstar. He was again yeah. a player that was on the ascendancy. Um, I hope I hope um, Mike Edwards still has a spreadsheet of Suarez because we need someone like that. But <laughs> but yeah, all, all, all the players that we bought, Alonso, Mascherano, these were all players that were on the ascendancy of being 
a superstar. We've never actually gone out and said that yeah. you know, we're going to buy a superstar. I just think because we're in a position where we've won the league, we've won the Champions League, obviously fans believe that we should be eating at that table. But if something if something works, why would you change it? Is my always opinion. And the ball's in FSG's court because this is what's working for them and this is what has brought them success. And again, I believe that it's a, it's a very good template because um, there's been names we've been linked with. Um, there's players, there's young players that are coming up that um, that us the fans don't really know, but they're on the cusp of being a top player. Um, again, was probably was linked with the um, the striker in Florentino. Uh, what's his name, Chris? Dusan Vlahovic. Yeah, that's another player who's on the cusp. Not not many people know. So those are the type of signings that I feel that Liverpool make, and yeah. I think, I think the interesting thing is is the FSG deal with, with Redbird, which is, um, I think it was in April now that that was agreed. It was basically 10% of the FSG portfolio for 540 million. Um, and when, when it happened, I was speaking to a couple of people around the club and they were telling me, he actually said, you know, over the phone, it doesn't mean we're, we're going to be buying Killian and Mbappe. Um, to which I, I laughed and I said, well, you know, I've, I've had to shoot that one down a few times anyway. But, but, <laughs> but what, what I was stressed was it, it was very much business as usual. So um, the idea that Liverpool are kind of swimming upstream with the pandemic is is kind of being offset massively by, by this income. And, and business as usual was the phrase I heard quite a lot. So it just meant that Liverpool were going to be able to compete as, as they normally would. Um, so it wasn't kind of a massive influx of cash that was going to mean that they were going to be able to um, to go and you know compete for the best players in the world. But it, it, but you know on the other flip side, it didn't mean that they were going to be unable to, to buy anyone at all. So I think we've already seen that this summer with Ibrahim Kanate, you know, a young player. Um, as El said, you know, a young player, you know, on on the rise, and and um, I think that's kind of the profile that we're going to be seeing more of this summer and and you know possibly the next couple of summers. We're saying that with the invest investment from Redbird, would you think some of that money that they invest will be offsetting onto the contracts? Because I know you said we're going to try and get the contracts away. So uh, putting two, one and one together, it seems like some of that money is going to go onto the contracts. Would you think that's the case? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, some of it was kind of um, money that was owed. Um, because as I say, Liverpool lost or have lost so far around about 120 million as a result of the pandemic, which is, you know, the price of a of a who Jaden Sancho maybe maybe a little bit less in Erling Haaland. Um, but yes, some some of that was was kind of offset that, and I, I would imagine it would be you know money reserved for, for the contracts as well, because um, um, while it, to, to fans it doesn't appear as though it's much of, a, of an outlay, I think. When when contracts are, new contracts are drawn up and signed, it's signing on fees and, and often it's an increase in salary and, and bonuses and whatnot. So yeah, I, I think definitely that it is where some of that, that money is going. Definitely, yeah. Paul, I kind of put the question back to you as well. Um, you know, we're talking about kind of Sancho's Havertz, uh, Bellingham's, etc. Um, we're kind of seeing there's like the, the the up and coming, the next big thing, as it were, uh, the Brock Lesnar of football. Um, it, does that not kind of fit within? The FSG model, you kind of you, you buy a gem of a player at a younger age, you've got them kind of, I guess, under cost control realistically for the length of their contract. You you know, with with, with how transfers are, 
I think a lot of people don't kind of understand that you're not paying the one sum kind of upfront. It's you know essentially uh, the fee over the course of uh, of the contract with add-ons and stuff as well. Do, do you find it? Do you find it a little bit weird in terms of obviously FSG American background where they get control over younger assets, um, and obviously Liverpool kind of looking to one earth the next star. Do you think it's a little bit, a little bit odd that they've not kind of? Well, I, I mean, obviously, you you can kind of tell us they've had conversations for these players. Uh, do you think it's weird that they've not made a concerted effort to kind of go into the market and drive hard for one of them? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that the, the Bellingham one is is an interesting one, isn't it? Because Liverpool um, Liverpool brought a, a lad from Birmingham in December, Callum Scanlon. I think he's a fifteen year old lad. Kate Gordon from Derby, who obviously already made his championship debut. Um, they, they are always on the lookout for, for the next rising stars and, and Jude Bellingham was probably the, the biggest star in, in the galaxy wasn't he when you're looking at players under the age of 18 in, in English football yeah, you, you don't get your shirt retired at Birmingham City for uh, for no for no reason exactly, crazy isn't it so he's obviously made that jump from Birmingham to Dortmund and, and Dortmund have obviously got a reputation for, for giving young players a chance and he goes straight into the first team with them and we've seen Jaden Sancho kind of make you know his his name at that Dortmund Liverpool were kind of aware of Sancho while he was at Manchester City, but there was always the acceptance that they're never going to be able to prize him away from a from a rival at the time. So we, he went to the Dortmund and, and has made himself an England international on the back of it. So um, it, it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? There's so many variables at play, but yeah, in in the case of, of Bellingham, who you mentioned there in particular, it was um, peculiar why Liverpool's interest wasn't more widely um you know known um, people will, will have been obviously looking at him at some point but um you know you can when you can play first, first team in the bundesliga every week for second biggest club in, in germany it's probably quite a tenth and offer isn't it for for, uh, for a young player completely agree i know a lot of people kind of like to use the well why did they sign minamino as opposed to to, to harland uh, as a bit of an example but i think what a lot of people have to kind of understand is when you pay that fee for Erling Haaland, we know now that there's a release clause uh, that is active from next season. So you're going to lose that player at some point uh, and you are under the pretty much the mercy of Mino Royalda as well. So there's two specific headaches that you don't really want to deal with there. So um, it, it makes complete sense. And Paul, as well, I want to stick on, stick on, uh, stick on transfers. Uh, last one, I promise. Um, you had a really good column um, uh, in, in your blood, blood red column this week as well. Obviously focused on Michael Edwards. Um, we kind of touched, touched on it a little bit earlier on, but do you see this as another window where um, he needs to be shrewd uh, with the relationships that he's got kind of built up uh, in, in world football? Obviously, like we saw, um, Liverpool have got a really good working relationship with the Red Bull group in, in general that kind of helped with that Canate signing, obviously Minamino before that, um, etc. Um, and of course, along with his um, no, no fabled data scouting model, um, do you think that Liverpool will kind of rely heavily on that again to, like we said, unearth some of these gems that might be available kind of this summer? And is there any specific names that you think we should maybe be on the on, on the lookout for with Liverpool to be linked with? Yeah, I mean, it, it's always, it's always a key thing. It's it's kind of an unspo- unseen thing, isn't it, with with football fans who um, maybe kind of get a little bit of a of a football manager thing of how transfers work, where you just go to a, a club and tell them ring them up and say, listen, we've got the X amount of money for player Y, can we get him? Um, it's, all, it's all about relationships. And, and Michael Edwards has proven himself to be so adept at, at building those over the last few years with, with the Red Bull group. As you mentioned, Liverpool signed 
obviously Minamino, Keita and um, Canate off the back of, of that relationship and and in, in all likelihood would have got Timo Werner had it not been for, for the pandemic and the realisation that uh, 50 million uh, was probably better spent elsewhere uh, last year. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's going to be a continuation of that theme, Liverpool or Edwards rather built up a good relationship with uh, with Fabinho's representatives who also represent Jota and Guest the Fute, I think they're called. Probably butchered that Portuguese pronunciation of, of that. But yeah, it, it's all about relationships and, and Michael Edwards over the past few years has, has basically got sprawl and network of, of contracts throughout European football. And, and as you mentioned there, Chris, about the, the data model with um, with Ian Watkins and, and his team, you know, the, uh, the the data nerds that are sometimes unfairly labelled, they are the, the kind of science side of, of the player recruitment to no stone left unturned and kind of exhausting the numbers and, and then seeing, you know, whittling down a shortlist. And, and uh, the interesting thing for, for Liverpool is... Um, the way they've gone about transfers in recent times is, is very much um, focus on a shortlist rather than focus on, you, you know, you mentioned there should there be any any names who, who you should be aware of, but it's very much a, a shortlist for positions. So when you were after a left-back last summer, it was Kostas Shimakas, Jamal Lewis, Sergi Reguillon, and um, someone else on that list. Um, Kostas Shimakas, who he obviously signed. And then for Jota, um, it was... Um, Jonathan David, who went to Lille, and uh, Ishmael Asara at Watford when they were looking for that kind of wide forward position. So it's um, it's very much a case of, of whittling down the numbers um, and the scouting reports and, the, the, you know, your, your feedback from various places. And then Liverpool kind of essentially try and go after them all and, and, and see what happens. Um, I know that that's kind of what they did for Lewis and Siemakas, and, and it's what they did with Saar and, and Jotter as well. So uh, I think um, it's a very fluid um, transfer markets and Liverpool's way of operating is is kind of that way. So uh, it's it's difficult to nail down bona fide targets when, when there's a shortlist that they're working off and, and they're trying to work it out themselves. It's it's, it's very tough, but I, I think there'll be a, a forward coming in at some point. Um, not not too sure on names at the moment, but yeah, um, I'd, I would I would be shocked if Liverpool didn't sign a kind of another versatile forward who can operate across the front. No, uh, watch this space and stay tuned to the Liverpool Echo for more info on that. Um, just want a quick, quick round robin, really. Um, what's the one opposition move you'd be all terrified to see happen this summer? Uh, Ellis, I'll start with you. Well, if anyone can get him out, I'm not joking. Uh, <laughs> <if> Kane, <laughs> Kane went to, yeah, I think Kane going to Man City. That would be a bit scary. Now, well, Man City beat everyone. No, sorry, scrap that. Haaland going to Chelsea. That would be a bit scary. Yeah, that, that yeah. would terrify me. Mm. Pete? Do you know what? This one is more... It's not... It doesn't scare me. I just think it ruins the game of football. So, my favourite footballer to watch that's not a LFC player is Jack <laughs> no, Grealish. Right? It's Jack Grealish. Like, <laughs> yeah, how can yeah. you... Yeah. yeah, I was saying, Jack Grealish, what a baller. Like, the way he goes yeah. past players, beats players for fun, they find him, they can't get near him, his hair's flicking under that underband that he wears. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what a guy. And then, if he goes to Man City, it just ruins football. It ruins it for me. You know what I'm saying? It ruins <laughs> it. So, Grealish going to Man City, I think, yeah, that, that, that will, I would hate that. You know what I'm saying? I, I love watching him play. Like, yeah, I, I love, love watching him play. So, yeah, Grealish going to Man City for me. 
the beautiful game. Let's keep it that way. Uh, Paul, how about yourself? Do you know what? The, all three of those suggestions are, are all spot on. I, I love Grealish. You know, socks roll down, hair flicking, beats a man, gets kicked, gets kicked more than anyone. The Paul had he must get absolutely sick to the backseat of it. Um, so if he went to City or United, I, I wouldn't like to see that. I think the one that would scare me the most is is Kane going to City because he's just an absolute goal machine, isn't he? And kept Tottenham, kept Tottenham, you know, treading water, hasn't he, for years, um, just from his goals alone. So if he went to City, he's going to score 30, 40 goals without doubt. And, and um, he's kind of the natural successor for Aguero. So that would be the one for me that would, would worry me. No, I think you've all given good answers there um, from both a an opposition perspective and just a, just a football perspective, really. I think the Kane one's interesting because I, I've seen some of the stadiums that are in this Europa Conference League and thank God that we uh, we didn't finish in it because there was one where an airport is on the back of the stadium. So one ball that goes over the stadium is causing a fair few flight no, delays. Did you see the train station that was around the pitch? There was like a, like a little train going around around the pitch. I'm not sure you saw that. I was on Twitter, but yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, the train, like, a, like a, the rack, the train, like, the train sort of rack going around the pitch. Abolish that competition. I don't get, I don't get the point of like the the top few leagues being in it. In honesty, I think obviously UEFA want to make it a bit more of a an open competition. They want to get more nations involved. I don't get why you'd open it to the eighth, or still the seventh best team in uh in, in England. To be honest with you, because more than likely it possibly either Spurs or Roma um, that will be winning it. Winning at the end of the day. Um, it's, this has been a really fun part. Uh, Paul, thank you very much for joining. Um, before we do close off, big hip hop fan, big rap fan, it's one of the reasons why well, we love having you on the part, in all honesty. Um, <laughs> we want to know, and me specifically, um, what's been on your Spotify playlist in the past 12 months? Do you know what? I, when, when I seen the, the rundown of, of the, the show today, I was, I was looking forward to this bit the most. I thought we, we can get stuck, into, get stuck into this bit. Um, so I was last on, was it August last year? Was it? Um, it was, yeah, yeah. Um, so Run the Jewels 4 came out around that time, so that, that was that was one that was heavily in rotation. Um, and I think Naz King's Disease come out, didn't it, around that time? Um, Quality album, yeah. Hip, Hip Boy just had a, a, an incredible year, hasn't he? Um, Crocodile, Joe LRT's Hard, that, that, was, that was a good one. Um, Get Your Money was probably one of my favourite tunes as well of last year. Um, Eminem, the legendary Eminem. Um, but you know what was probably my favourite favorite album? And, and I was actually, because I knew I was coming on the, on this just before I come on, I was, I was giving it a listen as I was doing the dishes. Uh, ben, Benny the Butcher's album. Um, yes. Come yes. on. Yes. That is brilliant from you, Paul. Absolutely the fantastic, mate. The one with the one you are aware now that we're going to have to enshrine you in the Cop End Hall of Fame. Let, <laughs> forget the Premier League Hall of Fame, you're in the Cop End Hall of Fame yeah. now, Paul. <laughs> yeah, oh, I aspire to be. Um, and then at the moment, I'm, I'm listening to the new Lloyd Banks and uh, Pete Rosenberg just brought out the compilation album, hasn't he? So we listened yep. to them the last few days. I haven't formed an opinion on either of those yet. Need to give them a few more listens. Lloyd Banks' album is really good. I think the one thing, the, the one thing he's lacking on there is just the production aspect. In all honesty, uh, but you know, with the, with the PLK, you're going to get bars guaranteed. Uh, I yeah. did see, uh, I, I did see whilst I did some research and prep for the show that you're a big fan of Pusha T's last album, Daytona. Um, oh, what was your favourite? Yeah, it's one of the best albums I've ever heard. What would you say your best 
What would you say your favourite uh, favourite track off that one is? I'll show the rear all day. It's just not long enough. True. I completely agree. Three minutes of... It's, it's that little, little same sample as uh, Little Kim, isn't it, um, with Biggie. Um, it's been used a few times as well. I think Dr. Dre Explosive is possibly the same sample. Yeah, that that for me was probably the, the best one. But you know what? I, I, loved, all, I loved all those um, good music albums where they were only seven tracks long and they, and they were released yep. a week half, like six weeks or whatever. thought that that, that was a good little concept. Um, but yeah, I love Pusha T. I was meant to see him a few years ago in um, Park Life and, and it, it never ended up going for whatever reason. And, and he's someone I'd love to take off. We'll have to make sure that he, uh, he, he, he does a tour as soon as soon, so you definitely get to, see, get to see him live. But no, Paul, as always, we really appreciate you coming on uh, and Cop End. Always a good time to have you on. Um, and t- tell the people where they can find you on Twitter if they don't know already. Yeah, uh, it's at PT Ghost, um, at LFC. The Live Echo LFC is obviously the Echo's Twitter account, so follow those two and uh, we'll keep you up to date with uh, all of the transfer rumours and uh, Try and separate the fact from fiction. Love it. Yeah, you're not going to get any ITK nonsense from Mr. Ghost, that is <laughs> for sure. Um, if you love what you've heard today uh, on Cop End, then please do head over to our Patreon page uh, at forward slash Cop End Fracast. And from as little as £3 a month, you'll get access to a wealth of content uh, which you can enjoy at any time. And we've got a listen. Um, between you and I, listener, we've got a lot of stuff coming within the next few weeks. Um, we did our content plan uh, last week. Whew, you are in for a treat. And just from £3 a month, you'll be getting a bargain. So do head over there and subscribe today. But that has been your episode of Copy and Fracas for this week. I'm your host, Chris. I've been joined by Ellis, Peter, and the immortal Paul Gust. Until <laughs> next week, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. <laughs>